Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. We continue our study in 2 Chronicles today with chapter 32. After these things and these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them for himself. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and intended to fight against Jerusalem, he planned with his officers and his mighty men to stop the water of the springs that were outside the city, and they helped him. A great many people were gathered, and they stopped all the springs and the brook that flowed through the land, saying, Why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? He set to work resolutely and built up all the wall that was broken down and raised towers upon it, and outside it he built another wall, and he strengthened the Milo in the city of David. And he also made weapons and shields in abundance. And he set combat commanders over the people and gathered them together to him in the square at the gate of the city and spoke encouragingly to them, saying, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him. For there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is Yahweh our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. After this, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, who was besieging Lachish with all his forces, sent his servants to Jerusalem to Hezekiah, king of Judah, and to all the people of Judah who were in Jerusalem, saying, Thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria, On what are you trusting, that you endure the siege in Jerusalem? Is not Hezekiah misleading you, that he may give you over to die by famine and by thirst, when he tells you, Yahweh our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria? Has not this same Hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars, and commanded Judah and Jerusalem, Before one altar you shall worship, and on it you shall burn your sacrifices? Do you not know what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of other lands? Were the gods of the nations of those lands at all able to deliver their lands out of my hand? Who among all the gods of those nations that my fathers devoted to destruction was able to deliver his people from my hand, that your God should be able to deliver you from my hand? Now therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or mislead you in this fashion, and do not believe him, for no god of any nation or kingdom has been able to deliver his people from my hand or from the hand of my fathers. How much less will your god deliver you out of my hand? And his servants said still more against Yahweh God and against his servant Hezekiah, And he wrote letters to cast contempt on Yahweh, the God of Israel, and to speak against him, saying, Like the gods of the nations of the lands who have not delivered their people from my hands, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. And they shouted it with a loud voice in the language of Judah to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall, to frighten and terrify them, in order that they might take the city. And they spoke of the God of Jerusalem as they spoke of the gods of the peoples of the earth, which are the work of men's hands. Then Hezekiah the king and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, prayed because of this and cried to heaven. And Yahweh sent an angel 
who cut off all the mighty warriors and commanders and officers in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned with shame of face to his own land. And when he came into the house of his God, some of his own sons struck him down there with the sword. So Yahweh saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib king of Assyria and from the hand of all his enemies, and he provided for them on every side. And many brought gifts to Yahweh to Jerusalem and precious things to Hezekiah king of Judah so that he was exalted in the sight of all nations from that time onward. In those days Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death, and he prayed to Yahweh, and he answered him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him, for his heart was proud. Therefore wrath came upon him and Judah and Jerusalem. But Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of Yahweh did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah had very great riches and honor, and he made for himself treasuries for silver, for gold, for precious stones, for spices, for shields, and for all kinds of costly vessels, storehouses also for the yield of grain, wine and oil, and stalls for all kinds of cattle, and sheepfolds. He likewise provided cities for himself, and flocks and herds in abundance, for God had given him very great possessions. This same Hezekiah closed the upper outlet of the waters of Gihon and directed them down to the west side of the city of David. And Hezekiah prospered in all his works. And so in the matter of the envoys of the princes of Babylon, who had been sent to him to inquire about the sign that had been done in the land, God left him to himself in order to test him and to know all that was in his heart. Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and his good deeds, behold, they are written in the vision of Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And Hezekiah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the upper part of the tombs of the sons of David. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem did him honor at his death, and Manasseh his son reigned in his place. This is the word of the Lord. So after these things, start of the text, that's that Hezekiah in his early time as king has reopened the temple and repaired it. He has cleansed it of all the filth, all the pagan things his dad had brought in. He has reestablished the worship life of the people of Israel, including celebrating the Passover. He has organized the priests and the Levites again for service in the temple. He has, together with the people, gone through the land of Judah and torn down all of the the pagan worship sites, many of which his father had built in the reign before him. So he's done many good things, these acts of faithfulness. And at the end of this time, Assyria comes for war. Assyria has already at this point defeated the northern kingdom of Israel. Now they set their sights on expanding their empire a little further with the southern kingdom of Judah. Sennacherib is the the king of Assyria at the time, and he has come against Israel even Jerusalem besieging it. Now, verse 3 is going to start with Hezekiah and his earthly attempts to overcome this obstacle, this problem, this battle. He's going to plug up all the water. I mean, really, he's bringing drought on his own land and on his own people. That's going to harm their, their crop, their harvest. What the goal is, is to make the land look unappeasing, unappealing to Sennacherib. 
he sees this just wasteland of a place, he'll just go turn around and leave. It's not worth conquering. It seems to be the attempt, the angle here. And in addition to that, he's going to build up and firm up the boundary, the border, the defenses of the city of Jerusalem. And so he starts by building up the wall that was broken down. Now that could be a reference to something that just over time has gone into disrepair and needs to be fixed. Right? If you've ever owned a home, you know there's always something that needs worked on and would be no different if you owned a city. Right, It would just be more stuff. But it could be more specifically a reference back to chapter 25, verse 23, when the Israel king, Israelite king Joash had captured the Judah, Judaite king Amaziah and had come to Jerusalem and tore down 400 cubits of the wall. It would seem odd that that wall would be left unrepaired for so long, but that is an example of what this could be a reference to. Now, he's going to build towers on it, so towers for watch, right? Also defense, however, you could use those for attacking from above. And then he's going to strengthen the millo. And that's a hard word, to be quite honest. The Hebrew word itself uh, refers to some kind of a filling, and from the idea of the text, it's clear it's some sort of a structure. So a structure that has been filled in in some way, but there's never a description, the few times that word milo shows up in the Old Testament, of exactly what this thing is, despite the fact that it's mentioned under King David, it's mentioned under King Solomon and King Hezekiah, some of the most famous of Israel's kings. He also builds a whole other wall around the first, so multiple layers of defense. He makes the weapons and shields in abundance, so he has the tools, earthly-wise, to defend himself, and his people do also. He gathers his troops. He speaks encouragement to them. It's a great speech in verses 7 and 8. So focus on that. Talk about what makes it a good speech together as a family. Um, what's good about this? Note that he says, so I mean, be strong and courageous, right? This is good. They have nothing to fear, which Hezekiah will say himself. Why should they be afraid of this king? What can he do to them if God fights for them? Maybe the family question would be, how many soldiers do you think you need to win a battle against God? There aren't enough soldiers in the world today right there's a there's no number big enough for the lord can simply destroy he can wipe out and on the day of judgment that's what he's going to do to all of those who have opposed him and rebelled against him so from this the people take confidence now i do want to note um, there are more with us than with him whether that seems to be a true statement of the number of people or not it's true anyway. So whether there are less Jews or more Jews than there are Assyrians, this is Second Kings chapter 6 when the, uh, the army of the Arameans had come against, well, the prophet, Elisha. They were going to capture him and bring him back to their king because he was telling the king of Israel all the plans of, of Aram and preventing Aram from striking Israel. 
And when they come, Elisha's servant is afraid. He's terrified. And Elisha prays that the Lord would open his eyes so that he can see. And as soon as he does, the Lord reveals the mountainside filled with fiery chariots. The Lord has his own army. He doesn't need us. He chooses to work through us as his people because we're his family, right? Just as you as a family, you give your children things to do that are beneficial to the family. You don't necessarily need your children to help fold the laundry. You could do that yourself, right? Bigger picture, but same kind of an idea here. The Lord has an army, an army of angels. We have no idea how many angels he has, but they fight for him. He sends them and they destroy the enemy. And so that's what's going on in a situation like this. So Sennacherib has besieged Lachish, which is about 30 miles southwest of Jerusalem. That means he's past Jerusalem already. So he's going to come from Assyria, which is off far to the east, um, near the Tigris, Euphrates, and the Persian Gulf. And then he's going to come. His path of travel would likely be north of the Sea of Canareth or the Sea of Galilee. So he comes around, and then as he approaches the Mediterranean Sea, he would turn south. So in order to get to Lachish, he has already passed Jerusalem. He's besieged both of these places. Anyway, he sends message to Hezekiah and to his people, taunting them, seeking to break their courage, seeking to break their confidence and their hope, and then also their trust in their Lord, so that they're, they're fighting spirit, their desire to go on will be crushed and it'll be an easy victory for his army. So he says multiple things. He accuses Hezekiah of misleading them, right? You can trust in Yahweh. That's not true. If you trust in Yahweh, you're just going to die. You're just going to die by famine. We're going to cut off all your food. You're not going to have anything. You're going to die. That's the point there. He points out, isn't this the same Hezekiah that has taken away God's high places and his altars? That's one to focus on with the children if he can, those high places and altars that Hezekiah tore down, whose were they? Were they Yahweh's? The answer to that is no. Sennacherib may think he's got some good inside information here, but his intel is false. These weren't God's altars or worship sites. These were pagan worship sites. God has but one altar, and he has... Hezekiah, the king, has faithfully restored Israel's worship to that one altar. This has been good. So Sennacherib's missing that. The point of the rest of what Sennacherib has said is simple. It's prideful. It's boasting. He's saying, look, we have defeated all these peoples of all these other lands. None of their gods could protect them. None of their gods could rescue them from me. Why do you think your God can In fact, it even sounds like the last sentence, how much less will your God deliver you out of my hand? It sounds like he thinks that Yahweh is uh, lesser than the gods he has already defeated. So, simple point being made and addressed across that paragraph. His servants keep that conversation going. They keep the taunt up, showing contempt, against writing letters against Yahweh, against Hezekiah. Same point, same purpose, however, being said. They do this and they shout at the wall. So they're they're there. Again, it's besieged. 
and they're shouting out in the language that the people of God can understand, again, trying to break them, trying to make this an easy win. We have verse 19, they spoke of the God of Jerusalem as they spoke of the gods of the peoples of the earth. So they make them equal, which are the works of men's hands. And that's the thing to pick up on here. Family conversation, is our God like all these other gods? No. Why not? What's different about him? Well, he's actually God. He created all of this. He's not just a a little stone statue or wooden or metal or whatever you want to make your, your false god out of. He's not a statue that we've made that can't do anything. The Bible used to say that those statues, those idols, couldn't talk. They were mute. Ours today do, right? Think about the things in your house that are not living and yet talk to you. We've got many of those kinds of gizmo gadgets that are idols that consume our lives. That's a whole different conversation point, though. So Hezekiah and Isaiah pray to Yahweh. And very quickly, very simply, verse 21, Yahweh sends an angel, cuts off all the mighty warriors. It's just done. You get a little bit more of the picture in 2 Kings chapter 19, the parallel account of this. In verse 35, we learn that Yahweh sent the angel of Yahweh, and he killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in the camp. So when the men rose early in the morning, the men of Israel, the men of Judah and Jerusalem, I should say, they saw all the men in the camp dead. That enemy army that was supposed to be too strong for them. Gone. Now, that does beg the question, and there's a bit of a difference here between the two accounts. So 2 Kings 19, it's the angel of Yahweh. Here it's an angel. In fairness, um, the word the is not attached to the angel of Yahweh when you see that phrase in the Old Testament in Hebrew. It's just angel of Yahweh. So how that comes into English varies. But the angel of Yahweh in the Old Testament is believed by many to be a reference to Jesus Christ, our Lord himself. And so if that's the case, then our Lord and Savior, Jesus, this is an example of how he has this authority. He has this power to defeat our enemies, which we know to be true. We have seen it, but we talk about it in light of things like Jesus has defeated sin, death, and the devil for us. And for our eyes, we can't see that. But here is something concrete. Here is something the people could see. Now, on the last day, we'll see it. When our Lord Jesus, as master of the universe, puts Satan in his place, we'll see it. But right now, as the phrase goes, we live by faith, not by sight. Now, the text here just says, an angel. Angel in Hebrew and in Greek, actually, both. The word means messenger, essentially. So this is one who speaks what the Lord gives him to speak, who delivers the Lord's message, who serves the Lord. So, not necessarily, again, a difference, but it's phrased differently. Could be Jesus, could be an angel, either way what we think of as an angel. Sennacherib then returns in shame to his own people. He goes to his temple to pray to his god, which 2 Kings tells us is Nisroch, N-I-S-R-O-C-H. And while he's there, his own sons, Adramelech and Sharazer, assassinate him. So much for his brag about gods, right? 
I mean, part of the the brag, part of the boast would be that his God is also greater. Guess whose God didn't protect him? Well, the God of the people of Jerusalem, their God protected them, but Sennacherib's God failed, even though he was in his temple praying to him. So the people bring gifts from all over the world to both Yahweh and Hezekiah, which exalts him in the eyes of the nation. And not just Hezekiah, but also Yahweh. Yahweh is exalted because his people are being exalted. And the role of his people is to share Christ, to share the message of a coming king to the world. All right, I'm going to say the chronicler is a bit nicer to Hezekiah's legacy than the author of Kings, uh, because he doesn't focus on the negative so much. We get this paragraph that when he was sick, 2 Kings chapter 20, he was near death, he prays, Yahweh gives him a sign, and there's a whole thing about the staircase and the sun going, you know, like the shadow cast by the sun going forward or backwards or something like that. Hezekiah did not make return. So here's your negative on Hezekiah from the chronicler. That is, he did not give proper thanks for what had occurred. His heart was proud. So God's wrath comes upon him, but he, he humbles himself, he repents. God removes his wrath. We learn that God has blessed Hezekiah greatly. You can read about that starting at verse 27. Great, great wealth and riches. Then we learn that Hezekiah stopped up, well, closed off uh, the waters of Gahon so that they flowed in a different direction. Gahon is... Not commonly mentioned in the Old Testament, so you get the river Gahon in the Genesis chapter 1 creation account as one of the four rivers that comes from the Garden of Eden. This is not that. The rest of the Old Testament references to Gahon are like a spring of water that is in the area right around Jerusalem on the south side by the brook Kedron. And so he takes this water, he pushes it off to the west. So Hezekiah prospers in all he does. Verse 31 is, this is one of those moments of failure in Hezekiah's reign, but the chronicler doesn't mention it. So he just says, princes of Babylon sent envoys to inquire of Hezekiah, and God used this to test Hezekiah to know what was in his heart. He doesn't mention that he failed that test. Hezekiah showed off all his great valuables and made the Babylonians want to come and defeat him. Isaiah ends up calling him out on this and saying that God is going to, not in Hezekiah's time, but after him, take the kingdom away, and in the time of his sons, and Hezekiah doesn't care. Like, he's, he rejoices that it's not going to happen in his day. A uh, pretty selfish moment. So, Hezekiah is a very faithful king. I'm not saying he's not. The chronicler is focusing mostly on the faithfulness because he's focusing on the idea of the temple, the worship of the Lord, and Hezekiah has greatly assisted the people of God in returning to that when they have been away from it for so long. And that's a theme that is important to those reading this book coming out of the exile in Babylon because they are they're in the same spot where the worship of Yahweh had been removed from them for a time, but it has now been restored to them. So they're learning to greatly appreciate the, the wonderful gifts that they've been given. So the rest of Hezekiah's works written in either Isaiah or the books of Kings I believe we have both of those, I think, by those names um, as we know them. And he dies, and the people honor him in his death, and they make Manasseh his son the next king.